0: This is episode 14 with high performance and international coach, Charlie Burke. Welcome to the Process of Success podcast. My name is Tom Sculley. I'm a former professional cricketer with Middlesex County Cricket Club and the founder of Cricket Mentoring, an online cricket community that helps cricketers become their best. I created this podcast to share the personal stories, lessons and beliefs of cricketers of various ages and stages of success. Whether it's a retired test great, someone in the middle of their professional career, or a young gun with big aspirations, I think there's so much power in each and every person's story and the lessons they've learned along the way that's got them to where they are. Well, I hope you enjoy listening to the interviews. I also hope you learn something from them to help you achieve great things both on and off the cricket field. Thanks a lot for listening. Now let's get into this episode. Before we get into this week's episode, I want to give a shout out to one of our sponsors, Techshot. Techshot is a brilliant training device for any batter. It's been designed to help batters improve their technique by getting instant feedback on their contact point. One of the biggest issues that I see in batting is players losing their front side and as a result they push their hands at the ball, causing them to lose both power and control of the shot. Not anymore. Techshot makes you keep your shape and hit the ball with a high elbow. Former Australian opening batsman and now batting coach at the National Performance Centre, Chris Rogers, has has described it as an amazing tool as it's helping some of Australia's best cricketers use their shape more. To get yourself a device, head to www.techshotcricket.com and put in the coupon code CRICKETMENTORING, all capital letters with no spaces, to get a free training video that I made on how you can use it in your training. If you do purchase a device, please let me know how you go with it, as I'd love to hear your feedback. Charlie Burke had a dream of travelling the world as a professional cricketer. Unfortunately he wasn't good enough to make it as a player so instead he's become a high performance coach who travels the world with cricket. Charlie started his coaching as a community development officer in Perth before he progressed up the ranks at the WACA. He was then headhunted to do a role in game development in the Asia region for the ICC before ultimately becoming the head coach of Hong Kong. In the past Hong Kong hasn't been known for its cricketing prowess but Charlie was instrumental in getting qualification for numerous big global tournaments including the 2014 ICC 2020 World Cup. As a Cricket Australia Level 3 coach Charlie is now regarded globally as a very experienced coach with a wealth of knowledge and assists Cricket Australia with educating the next generation of high performance coaches. In this episode we discussed How coaching a basketball team while in high school helped make him into the coach he is today. How he became serious about cricket coaching after he was told he wouldn't make it as a player. How a chance meeting with someone during the 2010 Under-19 World Cup led him to coach Hong Kong on the international stage for seven years. What the highlight of his time coaching Hong Kong was and why his team nearly had to be evacuated by Chopper after a match. Why coaching an associate nation is like coaching a grade club in Australia. The coaching principle that every coach should follow. What he spoke about during his presentation at the Cricket Australia Level 3 coaching course recently, plus a whole lot more. This is a great episode with someone with a very interesting perspective on the game that I'm sure everyone will get value from, so let's get into it. G'day guys and welcome to this episode of The Process of Success. I'm here with high performance coach Charlie Burke who is a former coach of Hong Kong, Hong Kong cricket and is now head coach or director of cricket of Kowloon Cricket Club in Hong Kong. Burkey, thanks very much for joining me. Thanks for inviting me, Skulls. Not a problem, Burkey's a friend of mine through our great mate Bucky Rogers who Burkey used to live with um, in, in Melbourne a few years ago. So. There's, this is there's, where we, there's his book. Don't forget to get his book. Big plug for Bucky's book. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm on commission.
0: <laughs> Good start. All right, now Berkey, you're obviously a high-level coach, um, but take us back to your, your, your days where you first started playing cricket. How did that look and what's your earliest memory of playing cricket?
1: Yeah, earliest memory of playing cricket's in uh, Darlington. I was brought up in the hills in here in Western Australia and uh, loved my Aussie rules football, as most Aussie kids do from Perth, and yeah, just played cricket and footy. And Uh, Never dreamt that it would sort of take me around the world, particularly as a coach.
0: Yeah, so it was cricket in the summer, footy in the winter. Did you have um, siblings you played with? Was it in the backyard or was it your father that taught you cricket? How did you learn the game initially?
1: Yeah, it was more my father. Uh, My brother and sister are horrendous horrendous athletes. Um, Yeah, my sister was into her dance and all that sort of stuff and my brother's a bit of a computer geek so um, my father was pretty keen on his sport. My family were pretty big on Hockey, Uncle played for for Australia in hockey and that, so there was a bit of sporting bloodlines there. Um, Yeah, moved from Darlington to the Big Smoke to the city and um, obviously there was a lot more organised sport in in Perth. through basically through school and stuff like that. Um, yeah.
0: So was your first team that you played for like in comp- a competition was school and then you progressed into club cricket or how did that all happen?
1: Yeah, I think it was school. I mean, I my first club was Wembley Downs um, and used to have a coach there, good old Andy Podoskis um, and yeah, just remember being in the nets at in, in you know, sort of Churchland's area um, over in Wembley and progressed from there into uh, Claremont-Nedlands sort of district zone stuff like in Inverarity Shield and... And all that, so um, that's kind of where my my cricket playing days started.
0: Awesome, and obviously, as you've mentioned, you've been fortunate enough to travel the world with cricket. Um, something I'm I'm fortunate enough to do these days as well. But was your ambition as a youngster to play cricket professionally one day? It's
1: probably more AFL actually. Um, I was probably better at at AFL, but it's just so. Um, competitive, and obviously, you know, a lot of a big part of AFL is, is your, your athletic ability and your, your, your build and all that. And for those that haven't met me before, I'm not the biggest of build, so well, probably big in, in the wrong ways, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I never never uh, sort of progressed much past Colts waffle footy. Uh, played a bit for Claremont, um, yeah. And cricket kind of, I suppose, accidentally kind of took me forward as a, as a player, um, yeah. fortunately, and obviously ended up coaching as well.
0: So at what point did coaching become a thing and, and then did you have passion straight away for it and thought this is something I love and would love to do more of or is it something that just progressed naturally?
1: Um, kind of default actually. I was uh, at high school, went to Hollywood Senior High School and I was head boy and uh, I got caught doing something a bit naughty and the, uh, the principal said, look, um, you know, either we um, you know, not expel you but you know, kind of take your head boy um, off you and um, you know there's the end of that. Or you can coach the Year 8 basketball team, um, and that's actually how I got into coaching, and um, I loved it. Um, you know, we used to go to Perry Lake Stadium on a on a Saturday morning, and and I didn't know a lot about basketball, but it actually made me research and find out. I didn't want to do something and and be made to look like a bit of a fool, um, and I ended up doing it the following year as well because all the kids, you know, the, it's amazing the the impact you have on these young kids, particularly at that age, you know, you're sort of 13 or 14 um, years of age there. And and how old you know, were you? 15, 16, 17? Yeah, I, was six, I think I was 16, yeah, 16, 17. Um, and then they, yeah, they, they said, all oh, the parents said, look, we want you to come back next year. The kids are not going to play if you don't. And um, that's what really got me into coaching, actually. So probably not your traditional ways. Um, I didn't start coaching cricket until I was about probably 19 or 20 when I went to the UK. Um and that was kind of you know you're the pro but you have to earn your money sort of mm. um sort of thing so I didn't really start coaching cricket until a later later age i think that's fascinating to hear about
0: starting in basketball do you think looking back now do you think you were just more of a bit of a mentor and brought them together as a group than someone who came and knew all the skills and all the tricks and tactics and you just sort of got them to really enjoy playing together
1: yeah i think it did well for particularly for for cricket because Cricket's such a unique game, obviously, um, you know, there's many factors in it, not just your gameplay side of things, but also in, in basketball it's very tactical, um, but I we didn't know that, I mean the kids didn't know that, and We I didn't know that, I wasn't a, a basketballer or come from a basketball background. Um, I suppose my strength was actually kind of listening to them and, and kind of adapting what how they wanted to play and also giving everyone an opportunity. Um, and had good relationship with the parents, so we got the parents involved a lot more than probably the other teams. Um, we never won any silverware or anything, but everyone, you know, that wasn't the the purpose at the time. So I think that really helped me with you know my, my cricket side going forward because I had had the technical ability as a coach in cricket because I'd played cricket and I was surrounded by a lot of good cricketers. It was just how I delivered that content, um, but yeah, certainly. I look back on that and, you know, that, that really made me who I am mm. today as a coach. Awesome, awesome.
0: Um, and something we'll get onto, um, I'm sure at some point, <coughs> is that how important communication is as a coach. It's one thing to know what to do, but then to be able to communicate it is hugely important. So what was your first role as a cricket coach? What did you then do at eighteen, nineteen that you mentioned? How did that start? What, who were you coaching?
1: Yeah, in the UK. I was playing up in the North East, played for a shield cricket club and then I played for Stockton. Um, And as most Aussies that go over and and play cricket in the UK, there's a lot of downtime because you don't train as much as you do for grade cricket over here so they kind of asked me to do a lot of coaching with their junior programs and and all that. I also did a bit of work at Durham School with a a guy called Mike Hirsch who's pretty well known amongst cricket coaching circles. So I learnt a lot from him early on. Um, It was sort of me and a a guy called Jim Allenby who we were sort of based together for a couple of years. He was a fair bit younger than me Um, and that that sort of taught me a lot about coaching as well but again I had no real aspirations. I mean i I still thought at 17, 18, 19, uh, up until my early 20s that I was going to play cricket professionally. Um, it wasn't until I sort of had the you know, the hard word from a couple of coaches that kind of said, look, what else do you do? You know, like you're, you're not going to sort of make it as a cricketer, and I think I needed that, to be honest. There's still a lot of players that go around at you know, 27, 28 that probably aren't good enough to, to go on. Um, so I think I was quite fortunate in that way as well. Has that helped you as a
0: coach, be honest to players, I think, at times? The, the, your own experience?
1: Yeah, probably probably a bit too honest at times, sometimes. Um, you know, it's one one area that I think that I've started to be, uh, I suppose, a little bit better at is understanding the athlete a bit more and um, knowing that maybe the, the really straightforward, particularly Aussie approach is probably not always the best way. Um, but certainly not sugarcoating it as well. I think that's really important. So, um, But, yeah, that's certainly helped.
0: Awesome. And now, when you were growing up, um, and you've mentioned Hershey in those early coaching days, but did you have other mentors in your cricket life, and and do you still have mentors now as a as an elite coach? Do you have people you go to to chat it, chat about things?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, John Tricos, who was a coach at Claremont, Netherlands, um, he used to he used to spend a lot of time with me. I was I'll often captain the second grade side at Claremont, Netherlands, and um, so I spent a lot of time with him. But also he. I suppose he saw a little bit in me as well and actually asked me to become the Colts coach and all that sort of stuff a few years sort of after playing in England. Um, and I think he, he was a great mentor with probably out even knowing. Um, and then I met a guy called John Harmer who coached the Australian women's team for a while um, and another guy called Barry Nevant. So John those, Harmer was a coach of mine in, when I was yeah, growing up, he yeah, was a, he's a, he's a coach. terrific fella. Um so all, th- all three of those coaches, John Tricost, Barry Nevant and John Harmer, I think all three of them have very different styles and different approaches and so being able to grab just a little bit of ingredients from all three of them um, has kind of, I suppose, made me who I am today. And do you still chat to
0: them these days or is it more you're sort of obviously in contact with Buck a fair bit, he's doing a bit of coaching now, do you, do you bounce off other people, people at Kowloon or people at Hong Kong when you're there, do you sort of bounce ideas through all of them?
1: Yeah, definitely. It's a lonely place actually, Associate Cricket, because you're not, you know, you work at the WACA or, or any sort of state association or any national cricket board at a at a test level. You're surrounded by cricket people, you know. I mean, I can come and have a chat to you, Skulls, about batting or, or, or life or cricket or whatever it is, and we can have a good 30-minute, you know, an hour chat about things. You do. It's quite lonely in Associate Cricket because you don't necessarily have that. You have a lot of part-time coaches. Um, I, I found myself to to sort of surround myself by a lot of people outside of cricket um, since I've been in Hong Kong. Rugby is quite a big sport in Hong Kong, there's some terrific people there involved in rugby. Um, So learning from them as well which is great because I think sometimes in cricket we get a little bit caught up in our own little bubble and how we do things. Um, I've met a NASCAR owner which is probably one of the greatest conversations and, and probably the best two beers I've had in my life. Just learning from him. I mean I didn't particularly like or have any respect for NASCAR racing but after listening to him and how they operate and what they do has um, been really interesting so I think you know certainly one of the bits of advice I give coaches is, is don't don't always surround yourself by cricket people mm. actually get outside of that as well um, I think that's been a huge part of my development. Absolutely I think disruption comes from the outside in so
0: getting advice and ideas from elsewhere is, is a great thing. Um, now, when you became a bit more serious in your coaching, you obviously came back from the UK as a player in early twenties. You probably realised, okay, maybe I won't be a pro. Um, at twenty four, you became a community development coach here in Perth for the Wacker. And then, how did the progression from that starting there look throughout the Wacker days?
1: Yeah, I sort of took that role not not necessarily because I I wanted that role. To, you know, to be very honest, I didn't really see myself going to schools and doing participation and and all that sort of stuff. Um, but I, I thought there was an opportunity there to maybe sort of you know, uh, sink my teeth into it and maybe get further opportunities, which I did. I started coaching the WA under-17s women's team. I did some work with the under-19s boys. Um, did a bit of work when Wayne Clark was there with the um, second 11 sides and, and also um, when Tom Moody started. So so were you still
0: playing grade cricket at 24, 25? You were still playing against some of the guys you were working with with the second 11?
1: Yeah, I was, which... which um, yeah it was tough actually um, particularly because when you're working with um, athletes and you're still playing you, you know if they're better than you and you're a, a coach that kind of knows it all it's a real tricky balance um, and that that I think I after about probably two or three seasons at the Whackers, so probably about 27-28 I was like well cricket you know playing days I'm not really that keen on and I just really focused more on leading, so you know, captaining the third grade side, captaining the second grade side at Claremont Edlands, started taking on extra responsibilities, you know, Colts coach and, and assistant coaching roles and and all that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, it, it was a tough balance. That sort of, you know, playing against guys that you would coach on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday at the Whacker, and you know, you kind of uh, they got better ability than you have is is not easy.
0: Yeah, I bet, I bet, um, and the ego comes into a lot of a lot of Good players don't sort of think they're better than you. They don't want to listen to yeah. you, so it's it's a tough thing. Um, how did you then progress? So you you've, you moved your way through the Wacker and, and through grades and sides at Claremont Netherlands. You then transitioned to a role in Victoria. What yep. was that role, and how did that progression look?
1: Yeah, I, I spent a little bit. Of time. I left the Wacker initially and went to um, did a bit of work with the West Coast Eagles, um, and I also became a runner at Subiaco um, Footy Club. Um, And that that was great because that, again, that was giving me different learning experiences and different development as well. Um, So I did that for about sort of seven or eight months. And then the ICC um, contacted me and were pretty keen on me to have a role with them um, in, you know, working with the associate emerging nations. Um, So I looked after 12 countries throughout the East Asia Pacific region. Um, So Indonesia, Japan, all the way down the Pacific Islands, um, Papua New Guinea, uh, Fiji, Vanuatu. So I did that for about two and a half to three years. And that that was great because I got to be in a lot of high performance um, areas, but also it taught me a lot of really good things and and things not to do. Mm and that three years was incredible, you know, that that sort of experience is, is amazing. You know, I'd be in in Papua New Guinea where we'd be training, where there'd be snakes in the grass and, you know, there'd be, you know, sort of rocks in the sand and balls flying everywhere, but the guys just didn't care, you know, the toughness of these guys was incredible. Um, but their cricket understanding was, was pretty poor. And they've they've started to really
0: progress as a cricketing nation now, uh, I yeah, believe. absolutely. So you probably set some good foundations there many years
1: ago. Yeah, yeah, we got some good people involved, I mean... Uh, Andy Bickle, uh, we got in as coach. Um, we had a guy called Bill Lean who was the CEO then. Um, you know, they, we we really narrowed in on what we needed to do, rather than you know you can look at 50 different things that you need to do in any sort of you know whether it be a cricket club or a, an associate cricket nation or even a test nation. Um, but you're not going to make any inroads if you're working on 50 different projects or 50 different things. So. Uh, we went in and realised facilities was a big thing, um, and player welfare. You know, there's a huge unemployment rate in PNG, and so got the guys actually working. So going out to schools and doing those development roles, but also paying them, which meant that they were able to train more often, and, and, and fitness became a big key thing as well. So, um, but they've, they've they've done very well, uh, similar to Hong Kong, and um, I, I reckon they'll be a big force over the next. Had a bit of a backward step earlier this year, but I think they'll be a big force in the next sort of eight to ten years. And it's great, I believe,
0: um, I think everyone's got their own opinion, but I believe it's great to try and make cricket a global sport. I think the ICC should be pumping money into small countries like that to build up their their cricketers and and try and make cricket more of a global sport rather than be dominated by the the six or eight best nations. Um, So then Three years based in Melbourne working for the ICC. Was it on to Hong Kong after that?
1: Yeah, pretty much straight away. I I went to the under-19s World Cup in New Zealand um, and I saw the Hong Kong team play against England and I thought to myself, Jesus, there's some talented cricketers there. And I ended up talking to this gentleman who ended up being the the secretary for for the Hong Kong Cricket Association at the time. And um, I didn't actually know that. We were just having a conversation in Christchurch and... Um, and he actually uh, asked my card and then after the conversation a couple of days later he said you know we're actually looking for a coach would you be interested and um, at first I thought I don't really want to go and you know coach an associate cricket but then the more I thought about it I thought and I think I spoke to Bucky about it at the time as well is that you know I had all this great sort of intel of associate cricket like I'd seen things that worked really well PNG as an example um, but also saw some pretty ordinary things. I won't name countries or whatever. But um, And I thought, well, actually, I think I could do a, a decent job here. So I accepted it. And um, geez, I'm glad I did. Mm. So that was 2010. You were um,
0: head coach of Hong Kong Cricket Association, Hong Kong yep. the country for six years. Um, yep. And then you stepped into a role as director of cricket for one year. Yep. What were some highlights in that time? And, and I suppose, what did you learn about coaching on uh, international side during that
1: time? Yeah, oh, look, the biggest highlight would be when we beat Bangladesh in the World T20 um, in Chittagong. Uh, that was just incredible. Um, still remember it so well, you know, packed house in Chittagong against the, the home nation in a, in a World T20. Um, we had been pretty poor the, the two games before that as well. Um, so to fight back how we did was was pretty, pretty extraordinary, actually. And um, we had the ICC security, head of security, actually come and sit with me on the bench and said, look, if few guys win within thirteen overs, Bangladesh are gonna be knocked out and we're gonna fly into your helicopters and, and get you guys out. So it was wow. an incredible uh incredible experience. But uh did that happen? No, we we uh, you put the mocker on us. We we ended up uh, doing it nine down, I think, in the end with about four balls left. So <laughs> we'll get, we're going we are pretty it's good intense, in the power yeah. play, and then yeah, we struggled from there. But that just would have been, been a
0: hell of a story getting the choppers out of there.
1: Yeah, I know. It was a bit of a shame actually. I told the boys afterwards, and they were pretty. I'm not sure if they were more shattered for not knocking Bangladesh out or for knocking the helicopters. Yeah, but, uh, we had to share a plane with Bangladesh straight after. We went went to the airport and all had to fly down to Dhaka and. The uh, cabin crew you got a bit of paper and the cabin crew said bangladesh you're on the left hong kong you're on the right and that was your seat allocation it was great wow. <laughs> <laughs> there must
0: be so many wonderful stories being such a big part and leading um an associate nation who really don't have the, the sort of the history that someone like australia or england do what are some other experiences you had that come to mind obviously i'm putting you on the spot here but what are yeah. some other interesting things and what was the progression do you think what were the big things you saw from 2010 to, to but you're still over there you're still heavily involved in hong kong cricket but when you finished as director of cricket
1: yeah i think that i mean i look back on it now the, the the biggest thing and again advice that i would give anyone and i, I still live by it now is that whether you go and coach in a, a district club in australia or whether you go and coach associate cricket and all that you've got to be close to the board you've got you got to share the same vision and Communication is vital for that, I mean the, the coaching and the hands-on coaching and the players is is obviously really important, but just the more people you can get to buy into what you're trying to do and how you're going to do that um, is really important, particularly when you have limited resources, I mean, it's not, again associate cricket is no different to a grade club in Australia, you have a bit more funding um, but you probably have l- less facilities, you probably have less resources uh, in some instances. Um, but just trying to keep really close to that board and making sure that they're aware of what you're doing, I think is really important. And I was lucky for the six years I was there; I had a really good, um, I was surrounded by a good board and, and a board that backed me to do what I wanted to do. Um, obviously, with some limitations here and there. Um, but that probably stands out along with just the fact that it, it you know, the associate cricket is so um, so cutthroat. You know, it's you you, you got to be really well planned. Um, because it's not, you don't have the luxury that other test nations will have where you go and play, you know, uh, Australia have just gone and played a five ODI series against England. And as much as particularly JL's first series, they would have wanted to do well. But there's no, you know, who, who's going to remember England won the NatWest one day series or Royal London one day series in two years time? No one's going to remember that. Um, so... I think China, in, in associate cricket, every match is, is linked to funding, is linked to rankings, is linked to people's jobs, people's careers. Um, so it's pretty cutthroat. So being able to make sure you don't get too distracted by things, but making sure that you really focus on the things that are going to make a difference. Um, often we can get caught up in things that are sexy and nice, but not necessarily going to be make a big impact on your team. No, again, no difference to a, to a district club in, in Australia. Um, so I think they're the sorts of learning experiences I had. I mean other experiences along the way, being on tour um, Ryan Campbell was our batting coach. Um, Shout out to Cambo, another good friend of ours. Yeah, a good fella now now with the Nellons. Um but he he was terrific with our batters but you know, he and I have got sweet teeth and, and, and love a good ice cream and we're in Bangladesh and we weren't allowed out, like they just wouldn't let you out of the hotel um, there was a couple of hundred people outside the, the lobby waiting for any of the teams not necessarily the Hong Kong coach and batting for coach, anyone. but <laughs> anyway. Um, but uh, yeah, we desperately wanted to get some ice cream, so I promised him we would. And luckily, our security guy organised it, so we had four police escort cars with guys with rifles and RO minivan, and the, sh- so the shopping centre literally shut down for two levels just to just to let us go get an ice cream. So <laughs> That's I mean, somebody, yeah. imagine if Virat wanted a, a, an ice cream. Yeah, Virat probably would have got his delivered yeah. on that, But uh, uh. yeah, some experiences like that. We shared a couple of times hotel with the Indian team. That's a completely different kettle of fish that, mm. um, particularly in India. Um, mm. We, a couple of times, have been over there in in World Cups and that when they've been there, so it's always pretty interesting.
0: I'm sure you could talk for hours about some of those experiences, (laughs) but that's a great little insight. Let's take a break from Charlie for a minute and go back to last week's episode with former England Test batsman, Robin Smith. So he looks at me and he said, "Um, I'll tell you one thing, uh, Rob, that um, when you get out, you'll come to me and say, Coach, that wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. And I reckon that uh, has always stayed in the back of my mind because when you're watching from the side or when you're watching on going into bat, it actually always looks a bit harder than it actually is when you're out the middle. And he was absolutely spot on. I've always remembered that, you know, and I went to him, I said, Grace, you're absolutely right. Today facing Marshall, he got me out for 37. But it wasn't as hard as I actually thought it was going to be, mm. and it was it was nice. Now let's get back to Charlie. You then finished up with um, Hong Kong Cricket Association as the the director of cricket, um, and you've moved to Kowloon Cricket Club, which is a, a big successful club in Hong Kong. Yep. What's your role there, and, and what do you sort of oversee, and what do you do on a day to day basis, I suppose, at, at Kowloon now?
1: Yeah, well, I was looking to come back to to Australia, and it sort of I spoke to a few people at uh, Kowloon Cricket Club, and they said that they were pretty. good. Ryan Campbell had just left that that position and they were pretty keen to do a bit of a, just a bit of a, a restructure. Um, get a head coach and get a director of cricket in and really start to get some other programs running and um, you know, they, they sort of approached me, I was pretty keen on it as well after chatting to them and um, they had some good thoughts and the direction they wanted to go. Um, my role there is more about trying to work with our current coaches we have, so we've got a head coach and Scott McKechnie who's a good young coach coming through, level 3 coach. Um, and he's doing a terrific job there. And then we've got another full-time coach um, who's also a national player for Hong Kong, Wacker Sparcat. And then we have about five or six part-time coaches underneath. So it's not—it's a bit different to a, a cricket club that you would have in Australia or the UK or something like that. It's a—it's a members club. Um, so it costs you about forty thousand Aussie just to be a member at the the club. So it's quite significantly yeah. different to, yeah. to that. But. Facilities so are great. So to play for Kowloon, you have to pay that fee and be a member. Yeah, there's different different types of memberships. Um, if you're a good junior membership, a uh, good junior cricketer under the age of 28, then um, then there's different ways that you can do that. But there's still costs, yeah. quite extreme costs associated to it. But um, but we have a good junior program there. We have over 200 kids um, in our junior program there. We have a a very successful uh, women's team there. They just won the T20 um, championship in Hong Kong. Um, We've got the most number of national players in Hong Kong at, at Cowling Cricket Club. Um, and we also host the, the Sixers. Um so that's the venue to where the, the Sixers is held, which will be on again this year, end of October. So um, so the role the role's good. Um, it's not as much hands on coaching. Um, still enough for me to, to, to still be involved and get that sort of, you know, um, coaching. Uh, workload I suppose Um, but it's uh, pushed more towards the management side of things um, which again is good experience for me and part of my development.
0: Awesome now just you mentioned earlier when you were starting out at the Wacky you got involved in with the girls under 17s and you just mentioned the Hong Kong the Kowloon women how have you seen the progression in women in cricket and the, the skill level and the way it's viewed by, by the guys and, and the professionalism and everything around women's cricket. Have you seen someone from probably seen it 15 years ago right till now?
1: Incredible. Um, I was just in Brisbane sort of a week and a half ago on the, um, the MPS program, the Academy um, Centre of Excellence. Aussie girls were up there, and they were they were incredible. Um, Just the athleticism, I think, is the biggest difference I've noticed in the sort of ten or twelve years I've been involved. Um, You know, and. They've always had, I think, in women's cricket, because they're such good learners and they're, they're good listeners, particularly compared to you know, coaching a young young boy, for example. Their technique's always there. Um, I, I get this feeling now in women's cricket; they've got, and particularly with twenty twenty, there's that no fear component that's come into it, which is great, and they're added with the athleticism now. Um, it's a pleasure to watch women's cricket. It's it's completely evolved and changed. Um, and, and the numbers suggest that. Obviously, the viewing audiences now around the world in not only ICC events, but, you know, the women's big bash and the and the T20 tournament, the Kia Women's Super League in England. So I think, you know, for that side of things, it's very exciting. Um, the professionalism is incredible. I was talking to Matthew Mott, who's the Australian women's coach, and um, some of the stuff that they've got set up there in Brisbane, and, and that's pretty good. Um, and our Hong Kong women's team are no different. We've had two of our uh, women's... Uh, players actually be involved in the Women's Big Bash. Uh, Mariko Hill um, was aligned to the Melbourne Renegades a few years ago and Emma Lai who's one of our um, more experienced Chinese players, she came and actually spent a season here with the Perth Scorchers. So um, yeah, it's pretty exciting times actually for women's cricket.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I was in India recently and I was just incredibly impressed by the skill level and the determination and hunger of the young girls Compared to the boys, it was just they were they were just as good, if not better, in their work ethic and their hunger and the way the boys view them. I think is just like a, a, another peer. There's no yeah. gender inequality at all, and I, I think it's fascinating to to watch that progression in women's cricket. And I think there's likely to be a women's IPL very soon, and I think um, women's cricket is just going to go through the roof in the next next few years um, and, and beyond. And, I'm so impressed with some of the young girls here in Perth who I'm now coaching and their, and their power is, is sort of improving yeah. as well. I think when they're starting at a younger age, their muscles get used to it and they're getting the power that sort of you, they might not have had many, many years ago when they hadn't had that amount of training. So something I'm fascinated to continue to watch. Um, now moving on to your coaching, um, we've spoken a bit about your story, but you, what, um, what, things, what are your core beliefs or principles as a coach?
1: Yeah, they've probably changed over time. Um, actually, coaching in Hong Kong has really um, developed me a lot more as a coach. I'm a far better coach for having that experience in Hong Kong. And the reason I say that, I, th- I think all coaches, not just cricket, but probably particularly cricket, um, we do complicate things, um, and we do often send the wrong messages and mixed messages to players. Um, you know, I sort of come with this theory now in in, in Hong Kong that less is more. You know, the more we say to players, the more we confuse them. Particularly when we're training, I think knowing when there's a right time to say something um, and what to say is really important. Um, you know, a key thing, and I said this to the level three coaches in Brisbane sort of a week and a half ago, is one of the best bits of advice that I've ever got and that I sort of go by now is make sure that we listen not with the intent to reply. So when we're talking to a player, don't let's make sure that we listen to someone um, and try and understand rather than often as a coach we feel that when an athlete asks us something they want to reply um, and i think that's a really good way of trying to look at things as well you know how often do we go and have a an hours batting session with someone or a bowling session with someone and 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 they face three balls and we're saying something again and again and again um, and the reason why i've learnt that is purely based on the fact that not everyone speaks very good english um... so i've actually realized that half of the things I was saying early on, they, they didn't even understand, so it actually taught me to, what you are going to say, make sure that you say it right, and you mm. say it well, and, and don't talk so much, You know, let them understand, let them digest it, and when you have the opportunity to listen to them, make sure we don't listen with that intent to always reply. Um, so I think that's a really important thing that I've learnt over, over the years, um, being in Hong Kong and being throughout Asia with the ICC as well. Um, also with, with the players side of things, I mean what I look for I suppose in, in any, any athlete is that hunger straight away. I mean someone that wants to be there is a lot better than someone that doesn't want to be there and is very skillful. Um, that's a really important thing and that's sometimes hard to gauge. Um, sometimes athletes might have a, a poor body language but actually deep inside they've got a real hunger uh, for success. So they're the really key things that I look for and surrounding yourself with really good people. Um, you know I was fortunate again in Hong Kong I had Ryan Campbell as a batting coach Simon Cook, um, the English Simon Cook is the bowling coach, um, who I think, you know, in my opinion, Cambo's one of the best batting coaches going around. And I think we can see that now with the the Netherlands. Um, Simon Cook's one of the best bowling coaches going around. We had a great S and C coach and um, Tom Summers, who was with Yorkshire for God knows how long, eight years or something, and Chris Pickett, who was the analyst for Sussex. So you surround yourself with. With good people, it's amazing what you can achieve as well, and that's, I think players can see that as well. You know, if you're if you're a good player coming up through the ranks, don't don't surround yourself by the people that are you know lazy and don't want to do the hard work and the preparation. Surround yourself by the people that are going to challenge you and take you forward. And it's no different as a coach. I think that's an
0: absolutely spot-on point. There, um, you've got to sort of push yourself to to be better. By having good people around you. Um, now, just touching on that point about listening without the intent reply, I think that's fascinating to hear. I don't think many coaches do that. But how would you approach it if a player did ask you a question? Would you then just say, let's figure this out together? Or would you try and give them something? or just say, figure it out? Like, wh-
1: How would you then do it? I think it depends on the athlete as well. I mean, if you've got... You, you know, you, we've all got those athletes that we've come across that love to ask questions and love to talk because they're just so stimulated by conversation and the game and they, they want to fast track themselves so quickly. Um, but a game of cricket all comes down to decision making. You know, you make the right decisions at the right times, you're going to be a, a pretty good player. Um, you know, We don't teach people to, to bat like a Steve Smith necessarily, but his decision making, the way that he goes about it, um, is second to none. So I think that's really crucial as well. Is is that being able to set an environment that athletes can learn. Um, you know, if, it, if it's an athlete that really loves that, that uh, you know, really I suppose stimulant conversation to really get them enthusiastic about things and searching for the answers, Sometimes it is nice to kind of you know, leave a little bit of distance for that as well, so they have to learn and go and find it and all that sort of stuff. Some people, you need to hold their hands a little bit more and and walk them through it. Um, So I think as a coach, it's understanding that athlete and and who needs what. Um, I'm a big person on, and a lot of the players don't necessarily like that when you first take them on, is is getting people to write things down. I'm a big believer in that. Again, when you've got language barriers, you know, our Hong Kong women's team... uh, are predominantly Chinese um, and a lot of them um, English is okay maybe their written English isn't so well so if I've I'm a big believer in whiteboards and all that sort of stuff and just reinforcing messages in the change rooms is really important so being able to get them to write it down in their own language and what they understand um, is important and getting them to have conversations as a team um, you know team meetings shouldn't be about a, a coach sitting in a room and telling the players how to play it should be everyone discussing as a group and obviously having a bit of an agenda and a bit of flow but um that's the kind of environment that i think people learn best in
0: yeah absolutely I, i'm a big believer in writing things down as well i think it not only ingrains what you've learned and you've got to articulate what you've been taught but it also is, just gives you something to look back on in a week two weeks three weeks a month a year or whatever and say what was i doing that day i was learning that thing so i think that's yeah. i couldn't agree more with that um what are some fundamentals you think are important for young batters? What do you look for, or what do you teach young batters coming through?
1: I love the intent to score. Um, and I don't mean pin your ears back and try and clear the rope. I think just that intent to score. Always looking to either drop the ball at the feet and, and, and steal that single, or whether it's coming down using the, um, you know, the, coming to the pitch of the ball and looking to hit the gaps, um, or, or go big when the field's up. So. With, with batting, I think my mindset, particularly we we play a lot of white ball, mainly white ball cricket in Hong Kong, so mindset's probably changed a little bit. I haven't been involved in a lot of multi-day cricket stuff over the last sort of you know, six to eight years, although we do play some first-class cricket. It's only one or two games a year. Um, so you know, when you come to the technique side of things, obviously your balance and your footwork and all that's really important, but I just love the fact that you see young athletes try and find a way to score. Um, you know, I, I was only having a conversation with one of our best young players the other day when we were looking at some footage and you know, asking him, okay, what are you thinking in this situation? As long as their mindsets right, if they're actually, you know, the execution of a skill might not be there, particularly with young athletes. Um, and as coaches, we get we get angry at a kid for being caught at you know, mid-off because he was trying to hit over the top, whereas I like to see young batters actually go, well, you know, I didn't execute the skill right, but actually my intent of what I was trying to do was right for the situation of the game and right for the team. Um, So my mindset's changed a lot with that. Mm -hmm. Um, When I look at batters of of learning their own game, whether you're a bowler, a batsman, wicketkeeper, I think the key ingredients of being a good cricketer is understanding your own game. The quicker you do that, the better you're going to be able to develop yourself as a cricketer. Um, And that's not easy. I don't think necessarily a coach is going to give you you know what you are i think you need to learn that yourself and i think that takes time um mm. takes longer for others um but you know you, again i'll go back to steve smith but you, you look at someone like a steve smith you know he understood his own game at a very very young age um, maybe uh, an adam boges or someone like that probably learnt their game and really understand understood their own game a lot later on in their career so you know and, and what comes of that is consistency and all that sort of stuff as well so but in a nutshell, I just, for me, what I look for in a batter is someone that's got the right mindset and looks to score, mm-hmm. and I think it's really important.
0: Absolutely. Now you've just been speaking about mindset. How do you coach the mental and emotional skills required to play at an elite level? Do you sort of have someone in, at Hong Kong, did you have someone come in and teach that? Or when you're working one-on-one with a player or you're doing analysis, how do you, how do you teach that? Yeah, it's
1: tough as a head coach um, because you've got so much other stuff going on and you know, you've got selections, you've got management, um, you've got you know, issues with player disciplines, you've got so many other things going on. I, I was fortunate, again, and, and I talked about before, the surrounding yourself with good people, is we've got a gentleman called Lee Jones um, who is a great sports psych and um, he's a great mentor for our players as well. Um, he's involved in rugby knows enough about cricket to have cricket conversations, but is also not too deeply involved in cricket. So get some, maybe some other conversations with players that maybe we wouldn't get as, as cricket people. Um, but look, it's crucial. And I think, you know, if, if you have the resources to do it, if I was told you can have a bowling coach or, or, a, or a, a coach to work mental skills with players, and I could only have one, I would definitely go for the coach that's got the ability to bring in the mental skills. Um, and the only reason I say that is, again, going back to my other point about batting, if if you know your own game, you're going to be a far better cricketer, aren't you? An athlete. Um, so being able to get that person involved is really important. Um, I also got the coaches to do a lot of stuff with Lee Jones. Um, I mean, I spent a lot of time with Lee Jones as well because just the conversations we had. And, and often he would challenge me in the right way. Um, and I think that's, that's a big part of it as well. So... It's crucial to any successful cricket team or any successful athlete um, but probably even more so um, with cricketers rather than other sports I think it's really important
0: I think being challenged as a coach or a captain or a leader I think is hugely important for your own growth as well if you've if you're not being challenged and you're just comfortable all the time you you might never improve so I think that's Absolutely. a great thing that he did now we're getting close to wrapping up but um, a couple more questions how did how did you teach some of your players and, and they might have already been there at, at that level playing internationally but how did you teach them to deal with a mistake? I think one of the biggest issues I see in young players is getting frustrated, upset and angry, annoyed, whatever over a, a one bad shot or a mistake or a failure in a game. How, how do you sort of go about coaching or mentoring a player over, around that?
1: Yeah we started to change so the way that we, we dealt with that more from an analyst point of view. Um, we've got a guy called Chris Pickett in Hong Kong who's a tremendous um, analyst and he was involved in the county set up in England so you know you have so many games in such a short period of time in England so you as you know and you're, you're spitting out information and probably a lot of the players don't take it on board we we sort of started that way where we would analyze a lot of stuff on tour um, and we would do a lot of analyzing of opposition whereas what we sort of started to, to change was actually what, what we'll do with players is again try to get them to understand their own game more um, so rather than look at too much videos of opposition and over-analyse opposition, we actually would rather spend a lot more time on, on you as the batsman and, and look, let's look at your last 20 innings, last 10 innings, whatever it is, what are you trying to do, different stages of the game, and you start to find some pretty consistent patterns, with, particularly with batsmen. Um, Bowlers kind of get set into where you know they bowl at the death, they bowl in the middle overs, whatever, and they become comfortable with their role. Batters will be in a different situation every time they bat. You know, you could have 50 innings, and you'll be 50 different situations. So, um, I think that's really crucial: is being able to use video analysis as a as a second part of that conversation. Not don't go through video analysis to then pick out parts that you've maybe not been as successful in um, but actually use that as a tool later after you've had those conversations um, that's kind of what we tried to do is actually go through videos of whether it be dismissals or dot balls against left arm spinners or whatever it is is actually let's let's identify the problem first and then go to the video rather than let's find a, a problem with the video because we could find a, a million things that we could be better at mm. um, by looking at videos so I think the video is a really important thing and there's some great systems out there as well for, for analyst systems um, as long as a player can say to me what they were trying to do and it's i feel it was the right stage of the game to do it i'd never be upset i think at the end of the day if, if you weren't skillful enough to do that or you just didn't follow through with that skill um i'm not gonna, i'm not one of those coaches to get angry at that as long as the player can come and sit down next to me and go well. You know, he brought up deep square and he bowled it short and I, I thought there was an opportunity for a boundary there I just miscued it and got well, as long as the mindset was yeah. there, the intent was right the execution was poor so um, that's what I tried to instil in the players because then I think players feel that you have their back a lot more as yeah. well and that they can play with a bit more freedom which is hugely important and I
0: think it's important that and having spoken to a number of high level players in this podcast I think it's important that you don't Try and do something in a game that you don't really practice or you're not good at like if you've not practiced the reverse sweep i believe that and speaking of these other players that if you then go and play reverse sweep and you get out and your teammates look at you and go mate you've never played that shot before what are you doing yep. but if you practice playing a slog sweep all the time and you get caught at least they can cop mate that's what you do anyway and you do yep. it well so i think that's really important now um having seen lots of the world's best players what are some common traits do you think amongst the, the most elite players
1: yeah, we've, we've been lucky in Hong Kong because we've started this uh, T20 franchise competition which is now in its, well, will be in its fourth year next year. Um, the T20 Blitz, we've been fortunate to have a lot of really good um, franchise players, I suppose you could call them, um, and the, the, the skills of these guys is incredible. Um, you know, I was talking to Ben Lachlan when he came over for the, for the last T20 Blitz and just amazing how he will just continually work on what he's good at and that is obviously his variety and his bowling but also just consistently trying to learn more to, more deliveries and you can actually see even in the change rooms in that environment guys talking to one another you know you'll see two seam bowlers talking to each other two spinners talking to each other just you know from different countries and all that sort of stuff i i love players that are open to to listening aren't afraid to go and speak to other people and learn mm-hmm. um, i think that's a really important thing and and seeing that in a lot of really good players, they don't, you know, like what we're talking about with coaching, you're never never a finished product. Um, And I think players that with that mindset's really important. Preparation's key to me. Um, And it's not about, you know, I'm not one of those coaches that thinks you should warm up for an hour. I know you you drive around the suburbs of Perth during the cricket season, you know, you always see a a, a cricket team warm up. It's always an hour before game. I I think players need their own time, you know. You might come together as as a squad for 20 minutes max, um, but I think you need your own time to actually go and work on what you need to. Um, I hate seeing full toss downs, you know, against a fence. I mean, who gets that in a game? Mm. Um, go to the nets, chuck on a pad, get someone to fling it to you. you know, I think right preparation is really important. People are going to be different in what that is. You know, Some players will want to hit 10 balls and they're done. Um, some players will want to just do some range hitting and, and, and try and clear the rope into the wind. Um, particularly at Melville or somewhere like that, that's a bit breezy. Um, but I think just preparation, whatever that is for that athlete, I think is really important. And again, the right environment comes from the coaching staff and the leadership. Um, so I think they're the two things. It's players that are keen to continue to develop doesn't matter if they're, you know, they've played 300 ADIs or whatever it is, um, versus someone that maybe is in their first couple of ADIs, um, and also people that have just got the right preparation, people that know their, know themselves, know what works for them, uh, I think are two really important factors. Awesome. Now, last
0: few questions. You, you mentioned you were at the Level 3 in, in Brisbane a few weeks, a week and a half ago. What was your key message you presented to the group, which included Adam Voges and a few of the female women's cricketers, Australian cricketers? What were some of your key messages in, in that talk?
1: Um, I think going back to the communication, um, you know, having that... I suppose listening with the, the intent to understand rather than listen with the intent to reply, that was one of the messages. I think the other message as well, and this comes back to the, the two beers I had with this NASCAR owner, is let's let's not get too caught up in, in all the fancy stuff, the shiny stuff. Um, let's make sure that we're really clear in what we're trying to achieve as a coach. Um, we're not all flush with IPL budgets, um, so let's not get caught up in trying to get That sort of, you know, try and get all the gizmos and all the gadgets and all that sort of stuff. Um, Employ the right people, surround yourself with the right people um, is key. You know, the NASCAR owner was telling me that there's 49 teams in a NASCAR um, competition. And and basically it's, it's like English football, you know, the people with the bigger wallets are often up the top. They have the best driver, the best car. Um, and he simply said to me, "There was, you know, I'm not going to pour more money into it. We're always going to be 49th, um, just based on the the money I have." But then he went and employed a lot of ex-athletes, um, you know, college dropout athletes or guys that didn't make the draft, and turned them into to pit crew um, and being athletic and being good hand-eye coordination. You know, they they halved their time in the pit um, and they finished in top 20. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a great message, trying to understand that. You don't necessarily need more money or more budget to get the more out of something. Just make sure we focus on the things that are going to make the biggest difference.
0: Awesome, awesome. Now, what are your ambitions going forward? What's next for you?
1: Yeah, I've I've, I've sort of sunk my teeth into the the management side of things at at Cowling Cricket Club, which I'm enjoying. Um, I do see, you know, recently married, so I do see that... Coming back to Perth is is well back to Australia um, is probably my next move um, I still want to be involved in in cricket um, you know pathways stuff under 19s um, assistant role something like that would certainly be something that um, I'd be really keen on um, you know cricket in Australia has changed a lot since I've gone as well um, which is exciting um, obviously the big bash has come on board and you know, there's more money now in cricket as well here in Australia. Um, you've got more athletes, more resources, uh, more facilities. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty open, to be honest. I mean, I definitely will stay in cricket. Um, and coaching is, is my passion and my love, but I suppose mixing and combining that with, with my management um, skills as well. Also,
0: awesome. now you've, you've probably mentioned this already, but what's the best piece of advice you've ever received?
1: Um, I, think, I think just backing yourself and going with the gut instinct. Um, and that also goes down to whether it be selections or whatever often we feel that we need to justify something can we we often over analyze things and talk ourselves out of it um, I think just and I go back to my early days in Hong Kong cricket you know we got we got rid of three or four senior players because I knew it was the right thing to do um, did the younger players we replaced them with have better statistics probably not but my gut told me that this is the right thing to do we need to rebuild we need to get some some fresh ideas, some younger players, so we can be a bit more dynamic, be better in the field. Um, I think that's probably the best bit of advice is just make sure you go with your gut instinct. Awesome. Now,
0: what's your definition of success? Uh,
1: definition of success is... Jeez, um, that's a tough one, Skulls. Everyone says that. Yeah, yeah, definition of success. I think for me, I mean, I'm, I'm a real goal setter. Um, so, But I, I set goals that I know are achievable um, because it keeps me targeted and it keeps me on the right line. Um, Success to me is is achieving those goals. Um, Some people will set really unrealistic goals so I suppose success to them is probably not reaching those goals because you know people goal set in different ways but for me success is that. um, Being able to achieve those goals Um, again looking back on Hong Kong cricket I wanted us to um, qualify for a major global event at the ICC because I knew it was I knew we could achieve it. Um, so again, although we didn't win a World Cup, um, we didn't win a lot of silverware when I was a coach, only probably two or three uh, tournaments, but we qualified for a lot of things. So I feel that we were successful during that time, even though maybe our trophy cabinet's not full.
0: Mm, awesome, and finally, why did you play cricket and why are you still involved in cricket?
1: Uh, it's where my best mates were. Um, my best mates in life are you know, are all cricketers. Um, I've been in Perth for the last week, and I think every single person I've caught up with has, has been someone I've played with or against, um, or coached with, um, or I've met through um, other cricketers. So that's what's kept me in the game. Um, good people, get to travel the world. It's a, it's a. It's a global sport, and it's exciting times. People talk about too many formats, but I think it's great. Um, you know, there's a spot for everyone on a cricket field. Um, you know, I still talk to people that are 70 years of age still playing cricket on a Friday afternoon. Um, that's the kind of sport it is.
0: Absolutely. Well, guys, what a fascinating insight to a, a, a awesome bloke, um, a very high level cricket uh, coach, and um, I hope you've got you guys have enjoyed this this interview as much as I have. Thank
1: you, Berky. Thanks, goals. Cheers, Appreciate buddy. Appreciate it. Thanks.
0: And there you have it, legends. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Charlie Burke is a very experienced coach who has so much wisdom and so many great stories to share. It was amazing to hear how he's made it as an international coach despite not being a professional player and the constant progression that got him there. Wasn't it crazy how he said the Hong Kong team would have had to have been evacuated by choppers if they had knocked Bangladesh out of the 2020 World Cup in their own country. I thought his motto of listen without the intention of replying was fascinating and it's something I will certainly be taking into my own coaching. Berkey is a great man and it was excellent to sit down with him and hear his story. If you enjoyed it or learned something then please remember to share it with your friends and on your social media pages. Remember to tag me at Skulls5 as I'd love to hear your thoughts and also follow Charlie at Berkey C on Instagram. Also please subscribe to our YouTube channel Cricket Mentoring, it's growing quickly And we have some great content on there, including the video of this interview. That's it, Legends. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Now it's time to go out and get it done.